Well, greetings and salutations, everybody. Welcome to my YouTube channel. My name is John Campia, and this is a companion video. What are companion videos? Well, I'm awfully glad that you asked. See, every day on the John Campia Show, Monday through Friday, we take the second half of the show, take your live comments and questions. However, we normally don't have enough time to get around to all the questions that get sent in, but I want to make sure that you guys tipped in and supported the channel and sent in a fun question that you don't have to wait too long to get them answered. So we gather them up and we address them here on companion videos and it's uh saturday uh, it's saturday january the 8th uh you'll notice i got some uh some water staining here yeah that'll be gone in a minute or two when it dries out I i'll t i'll tell you what the stupid thing i did was uh so just before i started the show i went out and uh, poured myself a delicious glass of zevia cola uh, zevia sponsor me you insufferably cheap sons of bitches and um i forgot that i had only filled the tray like maybe two or three hours ago i totally forgot so I grabbed the tray and I press, put some pressure on the bottom to pop out an ice cube and just the top of the ice cracked and all the water, because it hadn't frozen yet underneath, like speared it out like all over me and I hadn't quite dried out before I started the show. So yeah, there you go. So hopefully these water stains will be gone here just a little bit. Anyway, guys, good to have you here. Let's not waste any time and start getting caught up here, shall we? And we're going to get things started off here with a question from Wicket the Ewok who writes... Hey, John, you are right. That dress was from the family of 12 that I killed last night. We are evil savages, and the only thing that could stop us is the disgusting thing called mayonnaise. Mayonnaise is the jizz of the gods. It's awesome. Uh, want to come to Endor and be my friend? It, You know, I put up this kind of redux of my uh, screw you, I love the Ewoks thing the other day. And I cannot believe how much response it's gotten. Like, I, I've been getting tons of email messages and tweets about it, and I'm glad you guys enjoyed it. All right, next up, we got Banjo-Kazooie, who writes, Watching Godzilla versus Kong made me wonder, how did Apex get their hands on Ghidorah's head? Then I started reading the novelization and explains what Walter Simmons, Apex CEO, uh, bought Ghidorah's head from Alan Johanna, Charles Dance's character from King of the Monsters, and so now we know. Yeah, you know what? First of all, I had a lot of fun with Godzilla versus Kong. I mean, yeah, there were a lot of logic problems with it for sure, but it was just a big, bombastic, fun ride of a movie. I enjoyed it very much. That is not one of the questions that I asked myself. How did they get the head in the first place? But now that you mentioned it, I guess we should have been asking that. All right. Uh, Gnome King writes, love of hate Godzilla. I probably You probably mean love or hate Godzilla, King of the Monsters. I will always defend it for giving us the best incarnation of Ghidorah ever. Uh, intimidating, not brainwashed, a force to be reckoned with. Uh, all three heads have their own personality, and most of all, just pure evil. Yeah, I, man, I wanted to like King of the Monsters. I was excited about it. I love the trailers for it, especially that that trailer that came out that showed us Ghidorah coming up out of the water and stuff, or out of the ice and everything. I just thought it was a bad movie, man. But I mean, hey, listen. All movies hit us in different ways, and if that one meant a lot for you, particularly the way they portrayed Ghidorah, or Ghidorah, however they pronounce his name, then that's great, and I'm glad that you did, man. All right, next up, we've got Jonathan who writes, listening to how to listening to Campy explain how the Ewoks cook people alive and eat our flesh while eating breakfast. What a great way to start the day. Thanks, Campy. I totally think a lot of responses from that, but seriously. I don't know how people have gone around for years thinking Ewoks are these cute, just a little adorable things. Go back and watch Return of the Jedi. You go and see what they do to people. It's not pretty, my friends. All right. Jonathan also writes, regarding favorite movie versus best movie and inner critic versus fan when watching movies that I originally discussed, here's another example. 
Greatest Showman. I'm emotionally attached to the movie for personal reasons, but as a critic, I recognize its flaws. When watching the movie, guys, please check your spelling. Uh, when watching... And use all the letters in your words, please. When watching the movie, uh, while I love the story, the music especially, etc., my inner critic is saying, wait, that doesn't make sense. This kind this kind of a plot hole, etc. So I walked out giving Greatest Showman a B as a critic, but an A-plus as a fan. Uh, part three. Uh, that's honestly... Uh, the heart of my problem is seeing a movie and deciding who to listen to. The critic that picks out the technical flaws or the fan that has the experience. That's why I asked, how do you reconcile both as both are valid in my opinion? Okay, look, <clears throat> here's the thing. A technical flaw does not automatically equal a, a bad thing for a movie. Let me put into a sports analogy for you for a second, okay? Let's say you've got a, uh, a let's see, I'm going to use football as an example, all right? Let's say you've got a football team and, you know, you don't have the best, you have a weak secondary, okay? you got a weak secondary and your field goal kicker is like questionable at best, iffy at best, and your special teams aren't so great. All right. Those are flaws. However, that team with all those flaws could still very well be the best team in the league. But John, they have those flaws. Yeah. But if they still have a powerhouse of an offense and a great defensive line and a great running back and all that kind of stuff, and they pull together a 13-win season and go on to win the Super Bowl, that doesn't mean those other things weren't flaws. Sure, they had those flaws. The question is, did those flaws impact the overall game of that team? And if the strengths of that team far outweighed the flaws, and yeah, the flaws are still there, but guess what? Flaws and all, that's the best team in football this year. Finding flaws in movies, particularly logic flaws and plot holes, right? Those are negatives, yes. But that can still be the best movie of the year, depending on how strong the strengths are and how well and how big of a problem are those problems. You may pick out a couple of problems, but they may be minor problems at best or have minimal impact on the movie. At the end of the day, the one and only thing that matters is what experience did that movie give you? That's it. Nothing else matters. At the end of the day, nothing else matters. Now, yes, great writing, beautiful performances, good direction, great art, good CGI. These are all elements that, can that will contribute to the overall experience of the movie. And things like maybe some bad CGI, some plot holes, whatever. Those can be negative things that work against the overall experience. But at the end of the day, what was the sum total? So you can watch Greatest Showman and you can say, uh, you know what? There's a logic problem there and there's a logic problem there and the logic problem. Okay, that may very well be true. But if the end result was still you walking out of the theater with a wonderful experience, that's it. You can point to that football team and say, "Yeah, oh, well, their quarterback, their quarterback missed eight passes, and their field goal punter, you know, kicker missed three field goals. Yeah, but they still won the game, fifty-two to twenty-one. At the end of the day, they still win, and they're the Super Bowl champions." And, and listen, I get it. I, for forty-five years of my movie watching life, have always thought there was a distinction between favorite movie and best movie. I was, and, and that's just been pounded into us. 
as film watchers, that you've got to understand there's a difference between your favorite movie and the best movie. I bought into that too for 45 years as, as, as a film watcher, right? Thinking I started watching movies when I was like six <laughs> or whatever. So maybe 43 years, I don't know, whatever. But, and I understand now having somebody come along and propose to you, mm, there really isn't a difference. Because, you know, at the end of the day, to me, movies are experiential events. I, I often compare it to like cooking, right? Like, oh, he used the finest ragu beef and he used the finest ingredients and he is a three-star uh, or, you know, two-star Michelin chef and blah, blah, blah. And he spent seven hours marinating the meat in this. Okay, that's all great, but I put it in my mouth and it tasted like shit. So all, all that other stuff, that's wonderful. But at the end of the day, I put it in my mouth and it tasted like crap. So I, I'm not going to call this dish a winner dish. I don't care that, oh, that was done great and that was done great and that was done great and that was done great. And it did on the surface, it looks like everything was done great. At the end of the day, I bit into it and I wanted to spit it out. So it doesn't matter. It, it just doesn't matter. At the end of the day, what was your experience? What experience did the movie deliver to you? Whether it's laughter or tears, thrills or shock, contemplation, uh, emotion, excitement, whatever it is, did the movie deliver an experience? And what was that experience that you as an individual movie goer walked out with? And that's all that matters. To me, that's that's at the end of the day, I, it, it's taken me, you know, well over 40 plus years of watching movies to figure that out. But I... I Figured out at the end of the day, that's all that matters. That's it. Nothing else matters. Are you saying good writing doesn't matter, John? No, no, no. Good writing contributes to creating and delivering a great experience. Are you saying good acting doesn't matter, John? No, I'm saying good acting contributes. But at the end of the day, you got to take the whole. At the end of the day, the writing, the acting, directing, the cinematography, the visual effects, the costuming, the pacing, all that kind of, all these are just individual elements. What did the final outcome end up being? And at the end of the day, like you can say, well, in that football game, boy, team X, they ran the ball better and they, uh, they had a better game plan and they have the more seasoned quarterback. Oh, team X. Uh, yeah. Team X. It doesn't matter. Team Y scored 10 more points than team X and team Y won the game. And that's all that matters. I don't give a crap that team X had the better game plan. I don't give a crap. The team X had the better running back. I don't give a crap. The team X executed this and did that. That's all great. Team Y won the game. And that's all that matters. And that's kind of the way I kind of look at it right now. At any rate, thanks for writing that in, Jonathan. All right, next up. Jack Lumbers writes, Is there a good chance that The Flash and Black Panther 2 keep their release dates November 3rd and 10th, or is The Flash moving? Uh, yeah, those... I got a feeling one of them's moving. And I'll tell you what. Normally, it's the DC movie that moves. I think one of those two movies are going to move, and I think it's going to be Black Panther. I I just think Flash has moved so many times. I mean, remember, it was supposed to come out like three years ago. This is a movie that has, has started development, stopped development, switched directors, switched writers, switched directors again, started development again, switched writers again, blah, blah. I mean, so much. 
they got that date, and there's a there's some drama going on around Black Panther 2. So you know what? In this case, I'm going to guess that Black Panther 2 moves. I mean, it's just good business sense for one of them to move. When DC has been the one to move their movies, I've always said that makes good business sense. And I think it would make good business sense for one of them to move again, whether it's Black Panther 2 or Flash. And I think it's going to be Black Panther 2. I don't know that for sure, but that's just my guess right now. All right. Monty writes, as you say, the fantastical within the mundane make the superhero movies special. With 30-plus superheroes in the MCU, uh, do you think there are plans to kill some off before the huge catalog of X-Men really do make uh, the world overstuffed? Well, here's the thing. There are so many X-Men characters, they'd have to kill off a good 15 to 20 of the, the heroes they have. And I don't think they're about to do that. Uh, do I think they'll kill some off? Sure. I mean... It is the Marvel fake death universe, but at some point you have to start killing some characters off to create a sense of stakes and consequences. Because as much as I love the MCU, that has been my one big criticism of them because every death has ultimately turned out to be fake. I mean, they fake killed Thor like three times already. But the more you do that, you'll lose stakes. You don't have that sense of, um, of, of, of something tragic could happen if the heroes don't come through. You know what I mean? So... I do expect them to kill some off in the in the coming little bit, or they may just think they can handle it. So I, I don't know. We'll have to wait and see. Good question, though, man. All right, next up, we've got Jerusalem Garcia who writes, with the final season of my all-time favorite anime, Attack on Titan, star, uh, starting on Sunday, I need to know if you've ever seen, uh, ever seen or recommended the series or even checked it out. Thoughts? Uh, I've read Attack on Titan because my wife bought all the comics. I'm like, okay, and she said it was awesome, so I, so I read them. And I, I liked it a lot. I am not a big... Honestly, I'm one of the only people I know that I'm not a big fan of the anime. I'm, I'm honestly not a big fan of the anime. It didn't work for me nearly as well as on the printed page. But I am in the minority. Like, a lot of people love it, like you. And that's great. And uh, it just didn't quite work for me. It just wasn't for me. I preferred the, uh, the, uh, uh, the book version of it, at any rate. All right, thanks for writing that in, Jerusalem. Next up, John Martin writes, Hey, John. Zevia alert here. I spotted 30 count uh, six flavor variety box at Sam's Club for $17. Nice. That's a good deal. Uh, six packs where I am from are normally five to six dollars each. Also sponsor him. You sons of bitches. Yeah. Listen, they have a lot of flavors that I really quite like. I generally just stick with the regular cola flavor. As I take a sip of it right now, I, I normally just go with the regular cola. I know I introduced Robert Meyer Burnett to Zevia and he is like more of an aficionado like he tries all the flavors and likes like a lot of them for me I kind of just stick with the regular cola one but that is seriously a 30 count for 17 bucks for Zevia that's a really good price dude take advantage of that all right Magnus writes uh Magnus Melling writes will Fennec Shand die in Book of Boba Fett I don't think so now here's the thing the only reason I'm saying I don't think they will right now is because they haven't really done a lot to grow or show an emotional attachment or too much of an emotional attachment between Boba Fett and Fennec. If they had, I will I would think, oh, they're setting up for for Boba Fett to suffer a loss here. But they haven't really set that up. So my guess right now, Magnus, is no. But ask me again after episodes three and four. I might change my mind. All right. Fanimator writes, 
Uh, buy one, rent one, lose one. Rise of Skywalker, Matrix 4, and uh, F9. Uh, also, I love how my comment about Episode 6 being your favorite suddenly turned into a monologue and three tweets about the R-rated side of the Star Wars era. That's right. That originally came from Fanimator's thing. Um, somebody asked me an identical question to this the other day. I'll go... Um, uh, I mean, I hate all these movies, but I will uh, buy Matrix. I found it the least offensive out of them. So Mat- I'll buy Matrix 4, rent Fast 9, and uh, lose Rise of Skywalker. That's where I'll go with that one. All right. Wes Maurer writes, Hey, John and team. I uh, was just wondering if you'd heard anything about a new season or continuation of King of the Hill. I remember hearing, oh, gosh. I mean, I, I have a very bad sense of time, but I'm going to say like two or three years ago. I heard some rumblings about them wanting to revive King of the Hill. I thought I heard that. I honestly haven't heard anything about it in a long time. Quite frankly, I didn't really watch King of the Hill. I, I mean, I watched a couple episodes. Again, not for me. Um, so I don't have a lot of vested interest in it, nor do I pay close attention to what's going on with King of the Hill. But like I said, I do remember hearing a couple of years ago something about it, but I haven't heard anything since. If we do, we will let you know, Wes. Good question, man. All right, next up. Aaron Nonaka writes, Hey, John, how's it going? It's going well, thank you. Uh, For your information, in the 1967-1968 season, Wilt Chamberlain led the league in scoring rebounds and assists. Hope all is well. Love your show and companion videos. Thank you so much for that, Aaron. Okay, so for those of you who don't know why Aaron's bringing that up, I mentioned the other day that there is no question. It's not close. The greatest professional athlete of all time is Wayne Gretzky. It's not even close. It's not even remotely close. Now, yes, it's, that's amazing that in, you know, one NBA season, Wilt Chamberlain led the league in scoring rebounds and assists. That's awesome. That's incredible. But he's not the all-time leader in points, rebounds, and assists. I think he's the all-time leader in rebounds. Yes, he's the all-time leader in rebounds. John Stockton, if I'm not mistaken, is the all-time leader in in assists, and Kareem Abdul-Jabbar is still the all-time career leader in scoring. So one of the three, great. Wayne Gretzky is not by a little bit, but miles the number one goal scorer of all time. By miles number one in assists all time by miles number one in points all time like it's it's ridiculous he's like a thousand points ahead of this of the closest person running second to him which would see i think is yamir jagger might be in second and mark messi's third something like that i'm a hockey guy there you go anyway so if like if will chamberlain was the number one all-time scorer in the NBA and the number one all-time rebounder and the all-time number one in in assists, there'd be a conversation to have there. But no professional athlete ever dominated their sport the way Wayne Gretzky did. And I know that's hard for a lot of Americans to hear because stereotypically, Americans aren't really hockey people uh, with obvious exceptions. But it's it's just true. Statistically speaking, numerically speaking, by the numbers, there's just no argument to be had. Gretzky's the greatest of all time. He is the greatest, most dominant professional athlete in their respective sports there has ever been. And I don't think there ever will be anybody that comes close. So, I mean, yeah, but, but yes, there was the well, one year that Chamberlain did do all three. Wayne Gretzky did it every year. 
and was is the all-time best in goals, points, assists, power play goals. What I mean, you name it, he holds the records. It's absolutely incredible. Anyway, uh, let's move on here. Uh, Koa seventeen oh eight writes. Bravo on the Ewoks rant. More comments about the Ewoks rant. Uh, think about this. There are so many Ewok costumes on babies and little dogs to play on their cuteness. I know, right? It's like we all completely misunderstand the Ewoks. These are murderous hunters who will murder and eat you. It's just, it's crazy. All right, next up. Uh, Jonathan B. writes, streaming marks success by views. Uh, that's not true. Anyway, streaming marks success by views. Unlike box office, their their money is in subscriptions. A movie like Red Notice could get more casual views, but not earn as many subscriptions as a less viewed movie whose fans consider it essential. Does this impact programming? Yes. So here's the thing. And this is very difficult because it, it bucks against our way that we've always thought in, in the model, whether it's television or movies. In TV, the more people who watch your program, that means this, that program is more successful because the more people that watch a program, the more money it generates via advertising and, and all like that. The commercials that run, for example, the commercials that would run on Seinfeld while Seinfeld was on cost a lot more than the commercials that ran against the number 25 ranked TV show at the time, right? More views equals more money. At the movie theaters, more people going out to the movies to watch the movie meant more box office dollars. Blu-ray sales, the more people watching it meant more people buying the Blu-rays in order to watch it. Streaming is counterintuitive to that because here's the thing. Netflix doesn't make a cent off of how many people watch a show when it's on. That's an oversimplification. I acknowledge, I'm just talking just in basic understandings of this. So like, because they don't have ad revenue. They don't play commercials. So once you subscribe to Netflix, Netflix doesn't care if you watch Red Notice. Netflix doesn't care if you watch season three of The Bachelor. Netflix doesn't care if you watch it. They only care that you're subscribed. And what they really want to do is to create content that attracts new subscribers. Because attracting new subscribers is what generates their revenue. Now, of course, then there are discussions to be had about, hey, making stuff that people want to watch will keep them subscribers. And, and that's absolutely true. And that gets to a much wider, larger discussion. But absolutely. That's why I'm saying this is a little bit of an oversimplification. I'm acknowledging that. But again, there is still a fundamental difference. Like you want to know why Disney Plus is moving Turning Red or why Disney is moving Turning Red from theatrical straight to Disney Plus? There is a big argument to be made because of the pandemic spikes. We're at, we're at the highest level we, we've ever been all time. High, like in California, again, uh, just to put in perspective, on the day Spider-Man No Way Home released on December 17th, we were average, I think we had six to 8,000 six, seven or 8,000 new COVID cases that day on December 17th. That's long, like three weeks ago, three, getting close to four weeks ago. Yesterday, we had 110,000 new cases in California. So it's grown by 15 times or more, right? And in a very short period of time. So yeah, there's probably a part of that is probably part of the consideration. 
But here's the thing. It's, we've also talked a lot about on this show how the growth of Disney Plus has slowed down considerably. And because the growth of Disney Plus has slowed down considerably, their stocks have dropped a little bit. Their share, their price per share has dropped a little bit. So part of the reason they are moving, turning red, and we'll talk more about this on the John Campia show on Monday. But part of the reason they're going to put turning red over there is an attempt to attract new subscribers. Hey guys, new family film. If you haven't signed up for Disney Plus yet, you're going to want to come watch Turning Red. You know, it's it's part of the reason for that. So again, it's, it's a much, it's a new uh, ecosystem. It's a completely new kind of ecosystem with streaming as opposed to more traditional venues of like movie theaters, watching on television, like the, the broadcast television networks and stuff like that. It's a totally different thing. All right, next up. Uh, Big Will writes, one of two. Hey, John and crew. So have you guys seen American Underdog yet? No interest in it. Uh, this movie is fantastic. The chemistry between Zachary Levi and Anna Paquin are driving for, I like both of them, by the way, are the driving force of this movie. Levi shows that he can do more uh, than comedy and Paquin brings, uh, brings commands, a powerful presence in every scene. It's like the real life Rocky story, but the sport is football. Kurt Warner's story is so unbelievable. You would think someone made it up. Also, the Rams are going to win the Super Bowl this year. No, they're not. Uh, I mean, it would be great if they did in LA. They're probably the number four, number five team that I'm cheering for. Uh, uh, hashtag in the city of LA. Hashtag bring on the filthy. Yeah, listen, I believe everything you've said. I believe everything you said. Um, but... It is a faith-based movie, and I have zero interest in faith-based movies. None. I, I always end up finding them to be total crap, and so I, I just don't bother with them anymore. Uh, that should be not. And look, I, I love Zachary Levi. I love Anna Paquin. But like I said, it was when when I was in Bible college that me and my 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 other friends in Bible college, we were like and in seminary, we're like man, why do all faith-based movies suck? <laughs> like that's where I developed. My strong distaste them. So I have no interest in, but you saw it and you loved it. And I love that you love it, man. That's great. It's just not for me. So I'm not going to bother with it myself. All right. Wes Maurer writes, hello again, team Campia. And obviously it's just me here right now. Um, where You know what someone wrote? Let me try this again. Hello, team Campia. You know what someone wrote in about the Marvel logo at the beginning of the Doctor Strange 2 trailer saying they snuck the X-Men Marvel intro in there so i had to rewatch it and i think they might be onto something there okay so i can't remember exactly what this was but i do remember somebody wrote in and mentioned that the the whole the marvel stinger that plays with the dark strange 2 trailer that there is an x-men kind of thing in there i haven't gone back to recheck it out yet but i'm glad you're bringing it up west because i need to go back and now that you're saying that you actually think there might be something there too now i really got to go check that out so thank you for putting that back on my radar west i appreciate that man all right next up francis uh, francis de pisa writes hi john and crew i just read andrew garfield's interview with variety about his involvement in no way home of course they asked if he would be willing to come back in the suit and he said only if it felt right do you think uh, we now have a good chance at an amazing Spider-Man 3? Thank you. No, I don't. Probably not. But I want it. I'll tell you right now, I want it. But I've been wanting it ever since the original Andrew Garfield Spider-Man movies. I mean, I love the amazing Spider-Man 1. And granted, the amazing Spider-Man 2 was a big dip, but there were still elements. I still thought Garfield himself was a great Spider-Man and I love the chemistry between him and Emma Stone as Gwen Stacy. Uh, and I wanted them to do a third film. Yeah. Two, 
Amazing Spider-Man 2 wasn't great. I, I know that. But I still thought Andrew Garfield was a great Spider-Man. And after No Way Home, as much as I, and I do, I adore Tom Holland as Spider-Man. I adore Tom Holland as Spider-Man. I think he's great. And obviously I adore Tobey Maguire as Spider-Man. But after Spider-Man No Way Home, I'm pretty much convinced Andrew Garfield is the best Spider-Man we've ever had. I think he's the greatest Spider-Man of all time. And so I want it. I don't think, but I honestly don't think it's going to happen, but I hope it does. And I'll keep my fingers crossed, man. All right. Next up, Jay Bling writes. So the San Andreas sequel. Why are you, Jay, why are you so obsessed with a San Andreas movie? I swear, I think this is like the fourth time you've written in about San Andreas. Anyway, so the San Andreas sequel came up yet again. However, considering what was said about it this time, if it doesn't convince people who are still expecting it to happen to stop expecting it to happen, I don't know what will. Um, uh, the Rock's producing partner, uh, Hiram Garcia, said that said that the studio said the studio has asked them to do sequels to Journey 2, San Andreas, and Rampage, but he and Johnson feel they've told the stories they've wanted to tell with those movies and want to focus on new movies. Okay, first of all, it I you're you're kind of taking what Garcia said out of context a little bit. He never said that we're not going to do Rampage 2 and we're not going to do Journey 2 and we're not going to do San Andreas 2. He was talking, because I read that interview, he was talking in that interview about uh, all the studios always want us to do sequels, always want us to do sequels. And obviously, The Rock has done sequels. He's not against sequels. He's done them. I mean, obviously fast. He's obviously going to do, he'll have plans to do them for Black Adam and others. But I think he was just kind of making a point. Now, look, there's nothing saying they are going to do San Andreas. I mean, I, I just keep hearing about trying to move this and try and do that. And I, obviously, I, I have some connections with some people and doing this. And that. But I mean, so look, all I'm saying is San Andreas 2 is still on the table. I don't know that it's going to happen. Uh, but I, I think, like I said, I think you're taking what Garcia said a little bit out of context. I can I can totally see how you read it that way, though. But yeah, I mean, look, there still might be a San Andreas 2. There might not be. I honestly don't care. I mean, I like San Andreas, but I don't think there's a lot of people out there dying for a sequel. And if it does happen or it doesn't, so I don't know why it's an issue that keeps being brought up. But uh, it is what it is. All right. Thanks for writing in, Jay. All right. Next up, uh, Boba Fett Latte writes, I took my dad to see Triple X State of the Union in 2005. He still hasn't forgiven me. Uh, Simon Kimberg wrote that trash along with uh, Fantastic Four, X-Men Apocalypse, Dark Phoenix, and 355. Do you think he'll do a good job on his next movie project, Battlestar Galactica? Here's the thing. Simon Kimberg has written a lot of stuff. And for every one thing that we can point to that he hasn't done so good, there's a whole bunch we can point to that he has as both a, a writer and a producer. Like, yeah, he, he wrote X-Men Apocalypse, but guess what? He wrote one of the top 10 greatest comic book movies of all time also in X-Men Days of Future Past. He wrote like for Mr. and Mrs. Smith, which I think is absolutely fantastic. He's been a producer on films like The Martian, which is like, I think it was nominated for Best Picture of the Year. He's been a producer on like films like Deadpool and Logan and Cinderella, which I thought, was awesome. I love Cinderella and, and more. So yeah, he's done a lot of stuff. 
And there's some stuff he's done that is not so good. And obviously, his first two outings of a director have not worked also uh, out all that well. But he's got enough wins. To me, on his record, he's got enough wins on his record that I will always look forward to the next Simon Kimberg project. I mean, it's not guaranteed it's going to be good. Obviously, he's got a number. He's got some stinkers in his repertoire. Absolutely. But he's also got some really big wins. And so I will always look forward to his next project. So um, here's hoping. Here's hoping, man, because, you know, Battlestar Galactica is my uh, the Ronald D. Moore version of Battlestar Galactica is my all time favorite number one television show by miles. And so I certainly hope for the best moving forward. All right. Next up. I already did that one. Jonathan writes. I don't care what anyone says. Sing is one of the most surprisingly great animated movies I've seen. I just saw it for the first time because I wanted to see Sing 2. And wow, I was blown away. Not perfect, but I enjoyed the heck out of it. B plus your thoughts. I'm not a big fan of the original Sing. I thought it was perfectly fine, though. I mean, I don't don't think it was a bad movie. I thought it was a charming little film. I I mean, I, I think I saw it twice. Once because I watched it to review it. And then once... I think I was with some uh, some friend and their kids and watching it. You know what? Charming little movie. <clears throat> I have not watched Sing 2 because I'm obviously not really big on the first thing. But I, I actually do want to see Sing 2. If for no other reason, then, you know, it's got Bono. My all-time favorite band is U2. So Bono is is in it as the big rock star aging lion sort of thing. So I am curious to see it. But yeah, I thought Sing 1 was a charming little film. I'm glad you enjoyed it, Jonathan. All right. Jonathan also writes, one of my favorite fake celebrity rivalries was on Saturday Night Live. Care to guess, Campia? Uh, it's Will Ferrell's Trebek versus Daryl Hammond's Sean Connery. Uh, the back and forth was priceless and always made me laugh. Your thoughts on those iconic portrayals? Well, listen, that's not a fake celebrity rivalry, though. I mean, when you're talking about fake celebrity rivalries, you're talking about Hugh Jackman and Ryan Reynolds, like two real people having a fake rivalry, right? And that's like the greatest thing on social media ever is the Hugh Jackman-Ryan Reynolds rivalry on um, uh, on social media. It's the best thing ever. That being said, the Celebrity Jeopardy thing on Saturday Night Live, if not my favorite thing they've ever done, is, is absolutely in a top three or four. Famous titties for a thousand, Trebek. It's famous titles. Famous titles. Well, I thought he said anyway. I, I, I see if you have not watched the Celebrity Jeopardy when Will Ferrell's being Alex Trebek and Hammond is playing Sean Connery, it is some of the funniest stuff there's ever been on television. It's absolutely fantastic. You got to see it. It's wonderful stuff. I absolutely love it. All right. Uh, next up, we got Mohammed Bakir who writes one of three. Hey, John. About the best versus favorite movie discussion, I completely agree. I completely agree with you that since film is subjective, but we all still feel this urge to discuss films in a more objective way. So I would like to propose how we can do this uh, while still keeping in mind that all film is subjective. We should discuss films based on two parameters: first, how much we like the film; second, how much we think others will like the film. For example, we can't say objectively that The Godfather. Uh, is better than the Emoji movie. However, we can say objectively that the vast majority of people who watch both movies will enjoy The Godfather more. Absolutely true. It's not objectively better, but it is objectively true that most people, that more people like it more. That is 100% correct. And you just put it it perfectly. Like, I have seen movies, 
right? That I've walked out, and you guys have heard me say this. There have been movies that I've walked out of and gone, you know what? I didn't really like it, but I think a lot of other people will. Like it this because of the way I am as an individual and we're all unique individuals, it didn't quite hit me the right way. But the things that I saw in the movie, I suspect a lot of people are gonna like it, even if even if I don't. On the opposite side of things, I've said the other as well. I've come out and said, man, I really liked it, but I got a feeling a lot of people, a lot of other people won't. Right? So, yes, that that's very well put. We can objectively say more people like this movie than that movie without saying this movie is objectively better because subjective opinions do not equal objective truth. Uh, So, yeah, we can say, look, it's clear more people like the original Matrix than like Matrix 4. But there may be individuals who watch Matrix 4 and just enjoyed it more than the original Matrix. I think that's a good way of putting it, man. All right. uh, Next up. We got Tony or Tom G who says Tony G is a very famous poker player. Uh, Tom G writes, Boba Fett said he intends to rule with respect. I guess that means he shot Bib Fortuna in the face respectfully then. Ah, there's a difference. There's a difference between how you claim the throne and then how you rule. Right? There's a difference between how you claim the throne versus how you rule. Yeah, he claimed the throne as Boba Fett. He claimed the throne as the most notorious bounty hunter in the galaxy. That's how he claimed it. Walked in, took out the guy who was there. But now he's ruling, and he intends to rule with respect. So, yes, I know it does seem a little funny that way, but they are two very different things. So let's see how it turns out, especially now that the huts are involved. All right, next up, JCL Productions writes, Hey, gang. So I just finished the first season of Fargo and wow, it was good. Have any of you checked out this show yet? Uh, Billy B as Malvo was terrifying and they did such a great job making him so sinister and scary that I got anxiety every time he showed up. Well, I don't know who Billy B is, um, but I will say I have never watched the TV show Fargo. I mean, I've watched the movie is brilliant. I think Frances McDormand won an Academy Award for that. I think she won her first Academy Award for that. I could be wrong about that, but I think that's what she won her first Academy Award for. Anyway, the movie's brilliant. I have always heard the show is fantastic. Always heard it was great. But I've never had time to get around to watching it. Like, whenever I start to get time, like, there are other things, newer things that get my attention that I want to watch, you know, instead. And so I've never gotten around to watching it, but I keep hearing great, things like from people like you jco talking about it and i gotta get around to binging it sometime soon man i do all right next up jcl productions also writes my mom and i own a business that helps actors uh we are a real company r-e-e-l real company so instead of doing headshots we shoot cinematic real scenes for actors that's a great idea uh we recently hit over 100 real scenes and counting we shoot them Uh, like short films, so 100 four to eight minute shorts. That is a great idea because I have a lot of actors in my life. Uh, Most notably, obviously, you know, uh, Aaron Cummings, her husband, Tom, Kimberly is in stuff. I mean, so I've worked with many actors and I know a lot of actors and they're constantly having to shoot themselves, like do a, 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 a film test, but they have to today, ever since the pandemic, obviously, they're self shooting them at home and stuff like that. There's a huge demand for it, especially if you live in L.A. or New York. So starting a business that specializes in helping them shoot short reels, like acting examples and stuff like that, that is 
a great business to be in. And I think you're going to do really well for yourself. That's a great idea, man. All right. Next up. Uh, JCL Productions also writes, just watched an interview with uh, James Cameron and Denis Villeneuve. And while praising Dune, Jim said in passing that Avatar 2 is in the can and ready to go and is now working on the third one. Did Disney say anything about this film being done yet or a date? Um, I I think I heard they're still doing post-production on it. Now, I know they are... Uh, doing production work on Avatar 3, but I still think there's work being done on Avatar 2. I mean, I I, I might be wrong about that. At any rate, the movie's supposed to come out mid-December 2022. So it's supposed to come out later this at, at the end of this year that we're in now. Finally. I mean, the original movie came out in 2009, which means this movie is, what, like 12 years? 13 years. It's coming out 13 years after the original. This movie's coming out like a decade too late. I mean, it's, it's going to be a huge hit. Never doubt James Cameron. Like, never doubt James Cameron. But, um, but yeah, I, I think it's kind of the same thing. Like, when they were doing Lord of the Rings, like, they would be shooting stuff like on Return of the King, but there was still some post-production being work, worked on previous movies and stuff like that. So I think it's in a cycle. But I don't know. Maybe it is actually completely done in the can. I haven't heard about that yet, though, myself. All right. Final question of the day, guys, comes to us from Dangerous D, who writes, Hey, John, the Wall Street Journal reports due to poor ratings, both CBS and WB are considering selling CW. AT&T's Warner Media and Viacom CBS are exploring possible sale of a significant stake of all of the CW networks. What's going to happen to current shows if true? Thanks. Yeah, we talked about this on the John Campus show the other day, actually. You can actually go and watch the segment we did on that. So we actually went in that in depth. Technically speaking, nothing should happen to the current shows. Like, because when a company gets sold off, all contracts and licenses remain in force, right? All contracts and licenses remain in force. So technically speaking, if tonight some other company bought CW, tomorrow you wouldn't see any difference, except maybe a logo change or something like that. But all contracts and licenses remain in force until they expire. Now, once those expire, who knows what happens down the road, but the immediate changes should be nothing other than some cosmetics. That should be it. Uh, there should be nothing. So any shows the whose contracts and licenses and runs and, and whatever are expired. Yeah. Then maybe they'll be gone. Any that still have two to three years on an existing network distribution deal. They're still going to be there. So theoretically speaking, we should see absolutely no changes other than the cosmetic changes initially. After that, who knows? All right, guys, listen. There are still more questions to come from uh, Disney Gifts by Bryce, Ron Frazier, uh, Webstar, and others. Do not worry. We will pick up. We're almost caught up here. We will get picked up right where we left off right now on the John Campus Show on Monday. So if you sent in a question haven't seen an answer yet, hang tight. You'll see it get answered on Monday. But for now, that'll do it. For this installment of the companion video, thanks so much for being here and making this show part of your evening. Uh, once again, guys, don't forget, click the thumbs up button, subscribe to our channel, and make sure you come back and watch us again on Monday. So big special thank you to all you guys who sent in those questions. Number one, because you gave us great fun things to talk about. But number two, you supported this channel as you did it. And all of us involved with the John Campy Show, thank you guys very much for your support. That'll do it for me for now, guys. My name's John Campia, and until next time, my friends. Bye-bye.